just want to highlight how grateful I am for the people God has brought into my life. I like to call them puzzle pieces. As you can kind of look back and you see how important these people are. I got an amazing group of friends. I love that you call them puzzle pieces. Yeah, some hole in your life and a person fits right in and helps. Yeah, absolutely. And it just slowly comes together. The other part of that is that you are other people's puzzle piece. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they like it or not, Sam. <laughs> I, heard I heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing all right, Don. What's going on with you? Recently, I've been around some conversations about whether it breaks our traditions to print you know, little small cards like business cards to let people know what number to call to find a meeting in our area. Okay. And quite a few people said, oh, we can't do that. That's promotion. We're based on attraction rather than promotion, it says in the traditions. Right. So they were upset about that and confused, I would say. Well, you know, I've heard some conversations about this over the years. And, you know, there's a difference between promotion and letting people know that we exist. Yeah. And how to find us. And I think, yeah. you know, there's a tradition that speaks to that, the long form of the 11th tradition. That's where the language we're based on attraction rather than promotion comes from. Exactly. So let, let me read the long form. It says, our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our names and pictures as AA members ought not be broadcast, filmed, or publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by the principle of attraction rather than promotion. There is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. So I think that a key phrase in there is ought to avoid sensational advertising. It's pretty uh, pretty likely we're not going to see any ads for AA that are like the used car salesman. Right. <laughs> Come on down to AA, the greatest program in the world to get you sober. <laughs> That's it. You know, I mean, so we, we don't do sensational advertising, but we do let people know and there's some guidance about that in the pamphlet, the AA group, mm -hmm. particularly in a section called How Can Newcomers Be Reached and Helped? It says, naturally, alcoholics cannot be helped by AA unless they know AA exists and know where to find it. It goes on to state, should an AA group let the public know how to obtain information on open AA meetings? Some groups do, but only for one reason to let the community know of the availability of help for alcoholics through our program. Such small notices are usually placed in community service sections of the local newspaper to let people know how to get in touch with nearby AA meetings if they so desire. Yep, well, that would be a good way to hide AA meetings, to put it in the local newspaper. Yeah, totally, that, that's true. That, yeah, so we're a little outdated, perhaps, in the media <laughs> aspects that are being discussed in that pamphlet. But, I mean, because there were also the PSAs, Alcoholics Anonymous Public Service Announcements, on radio and TV. 
Yeah. And I remember seeing a little thing in the newspaper back in the day before that was I on quit a drinking. Stone tablet, right? <laughs> no, it was a newspaper. It was newsprint. Oh, okay. okay. And it okay. just said it had a little AA schedule in Greensboro where to find a meeting. So yeah, that's always been the case. And in fact, before I quit drinking, I found a pamphlet. It had the 12 questions that is on AA.org. AA.org. Arg. <laughs> this is not International Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> That's all because I told our guests we are not a pirate ship. <laughs> That's right. So, <laughs> and it was a pamphlet that has 12 questions to find if you are an alcoholic. Well, I was like wondering, and I knew I was in trouble in truth with alcohol. And I mm-hmm. saw that pamphlet. So I went and checked out a, an oversized book. And I went back to that wall that had the pamphlets. I got that pamphlet, (laughs) stuck it, making sure it was smaller than the book I had in the book and walked out with it so that, you know, so that no one would see. No one would know. (laughs) Well, and now we've got the Internet. All of those pamphlets are available online. You can go to aa.org and see them there, or you can also search for a pamphlet's name and AA, and it'll show up in the search results. You know, we've got our meeting guide app. Anyone can download that app and see where an AA meeting is. We've got our websites. Some groups have a website. Lots of intergroups slash central offices have websites. Mm-hmm. We need to be available to people who are seeking help They need to know that we're here and how to find us. We are vibrant and thriving. Well, Sam, who's our guest today? Well, Don, today we'll be visiting with Cameron C. from Maple Valley, Washington. And following that, we'll return to our occasional segment, The Blast from the Past. We have an excerpt from Dr. Bob's last major talk in December 1948 in Detroit, Michigan. Sam, how can I support the AA Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Good afternoon, y'all. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is May 4th, 2020, so just uh, a little bit over three years. And I, as you mentioned, live in Maple Valley, Washington, right outside Seattle. <laughs> so that's where that is. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Cameron. What uh, what would possess you to come to AA? It's such a drastic thing that that an alcoholic would ever consider not drinking and doing it someone else's way. Well, that's definitely not why I came here. Oh, okay. I came here to fix my drinking. Oh, you wanted to learn how to drink like a normal person. Absolutely. I think it says in the book, drink like a gentleman. That's what I was here for. And after two conversations with some sort of mental health professionals, within 30 minutes of them hearing my story, they asked if I ever read the big book or went to an AA meeting. The answer was no, of course not. I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) I went in the first time with a closed mouth and open ears. I sat in the back row and I drank uh, a lot of terrible coffee. (laughs) I met some amazing people and I heard a lot, 
but there, there was no action. Okay. After about 10 or 11 months, I'd heard all I needed to hear. And I figured out how to fix my drinking, which was just not drink as much. Naturally. Of course. So at that point, I went out and did some more research. That was my story. I had to try and try and try to not drink too much to get to the place where I was really willing to do what AA was asking me to do. It got to a point where it was physically more painful for me to not have the drink that was in front of me than I perceived to actually take it because I was fighting it so, so much. And then I went back out. How did that struggle play out for you? What did you do to try to control your drinking? I tried abstinence at first. It was an internal struggle because I still had the obsession. I hadn't done any work to change the problem between my ears. <laughs> what happened? Well, I went out in 2019. And then, as we all know, November of 2019, we started hearing this word going around the world about COVID. Mm -hmm. And 2020, I got everything I ever wanted. I didn't have to go anywhere. I could stay inside. I didn't have to talk to people. And I could drink as much as I wanted to. Where I was living at the time in Greece, we went into lockdown and I drank a lot by myself. And I realized that that's all I ever wanted. But then I realized I wanted a life worth living. I was FaceTiming somebody. Mm -hmm. um, this is just one of those miraculous things that a lot of people, we call them spiritual experiences. I know now is that that's what it was. And I was FaceTiming somebody that I had no clue was in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. She's like, hey, I thought I saw that you were sober for a little bit. How are you doing? I, I lied. And I said, oh, I'm doing great. I looked awful, gentlemen. I did not look well. <laughs> she said, did you know that I've been sober for five and a half years? No, I didn't know that. And then she's like, do you want to quit drinking? And I, I cracked. I said, yes, I want to, but I can't stop. So she must have been able to read you that you probably wanted to quit to ask you that question. That's remarkable. Absolutely. I say it's something that I'm still grateful for, that another alcoholic recognized that in somebody else. And there was no promotion. There was just that question. Mm. Do you want to quit drinking? It sounds like you may have said yes. I did say yes. She said, uh, she said, OK, we're going to pour out the rest of what's in your house tonight. It's something that as you read about and you hear stories, you know, I've heard about my sponsor telling me with somebody that said they wanted to quit and he walked in through pouring all the alcohol out. We did that virtually. I've done that with a new guy. I, mean, I didn't pour it out, but I asked him if he wanted to. Do you really want to be done with it? Well, let's get rid of the alcohol. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that in that moment, the desperation, the willingness. Mm. And then she said, join me for a meeting tomorrow. It's all on Zoom now. You don't have to leave your house. She logged me into a meeting with some gentlemen in Tampa, Florida, and she logged in with me and it was a men's meeting, a men's big book study. All right. <laughs> and she, she said, Hey gentlemen, this is Cameron. He needs some help. And she logged out and she saw her way out. <laughs> oh my God. She's awesome. Wow. <laughs> she is <laughs> Katie. If you're listening, thank you. <laughs> so what was your experience of this first meeting? I mean, I can think back to my first meeting it was the first time I said the word alcoholic. I had to introduce myself and I'd never said I am an alcoholic before. Well, I had said that before, but I didn't mean it or I didn't believe it. Hmm. I'd said it because I thought that's what you're supposed to say in AA meetings. That day I said it and I meant it. And I knew it to be true at that point because of everything that had led me to get there. What do you take from that first meeting? 
I'll be honest with you, Don. I don't remember a whole lot from that meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a lot of kindness and there was a lot of patience. There was a feeling of we we know exactly where you're at and we're going to help you get to where you say you want to be today. Uh, and that was living a sober life. That's the magic, I think. They said that I needed to connect with local AA. We all remember what that was like at that point. A, a lot of meetings were on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, I was grateful that I connected with the local AA when I first got to Greece. When I first got there, I did connect with them. So I knew where to go. And I said, I'm back. I need help. I messaged this wonderful expat named Mary. And she sent me the link to the local group, the usual suspects out of Hanya, Greece. When I came back, I remember a woman cried. She remembered you. She did remember me. She remembered me from an in-person meeting. My sponsor that adopted me that day, he didn't really give me a choice. He kind of put his arm around me uh, as best he could. And he said, I remember what that was like. And there's a way out. And he took me through the steps. I realized in that that um, it wasn't the higher power that I said I believed in. It was the higher power that I had a relationship with. Mm. Ooh, that's a really good distinction. The steps allowed me to have a relationship with a power greater than myself. Self-will run right, ego, all, all of the standard things we find as we go through the steps was the way I lived my life. Mm-hmm. And now I can take a step back and I can appreciate the beauty in the world. And I can appreciate everything that I have in my life is not because of me. It's for me uh, through my higher power. Wow. And I was looking for meaning in my life. What was the result of working the steps? I was relieved of the obsession of alcohol, Sam. (laughs) Okay. How does the working the steps relieve you from the bondage of alcohol? You know, they say alcohol is but a symptom. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of things going on inside of me emotionally and in in between my ears again, as they say, uh, because that's where I realized the problem was centered was just all in my thinking. My thinking of where it's the 15th or the 16th drink or whatever led me to the end of the night being a disaster. It's the first drink. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the Joe and Charlie big book tapes really helped me understand that allergy. Can you describe the allergy? We talk about powerless, right? Mm -hmm. I am powerless over what happens to me when I put alcohol into my body. I can't control that reaction. And then at that point, I've triggered the craving. Getting to the point where I could get away from that mental obsession turning to not trigger the allergy, that was key for me. Yeah, so we're talking about that mental obsession plus the compulsion, the mental obsession impelling me to consume that first drink. And once that drinks in me, the allergy kicks in and my craving kicks in and I drink more and more. Maybe not every time, which is the tricky part about all this, Yeah, but I can't predict how it's going to go. So it's best for me not to put that first drink in me. Absolutely. Accepting that was very, very difficult for me. Yeah. I, I wanted to drink like a gentleman and it's just staying away from it long enough to realize the benefits, not just looks, you know, as this handsome face you see today, <laughs> but the benefits of being able to, to deal with life. Uh, being able to process things that happened to me because I was always so quick. Everything was just a quick uh, response. I I reacted to everything. There was no responding. Uh, When did you come back to the States? 
I came back in spring of 2021, another God shot. I was so nervous about leaving that routine. Where you got sober. Absolutely. I had the, the destination alcoholism as well. I'm not going to be an alcoholic in this state or in this country. Oh, you're saying you would might give yourself permission to drink by going to a different country. I've been in the Navy 21 years. I've lived in about seven different places. And every time I never left it in a very positive light, it felt because my drinking always caused problems in relationships or in work. And I would take inventory back then, right? We, we look at things we do and I want to do differently. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to drink as much when I get to this place because I know it causes problems. Fresh start. So fortunately, I started creating connection. I knew that I needed to touch base with the local AA here in the Pacific Northwest before I got here. And that was easy to do with Zoom. Wake up worldwide out of Oregon City, Oregon. I call that my Zoom home group. Uh, I connected with them and I just met this wonderful group of people. We spoke the same language. Yeah. And they said, it's not just about removing the alcohol. We're going to help you figure out how to navigate life sober when you get here. I moved from North Carolina to California in July of 2020. And one of the things that was so helpful to me was joining an online meeting here in California every morning. It just furthered the connection for when I got here. And it was, it was like a comfort piece too. I, I travel for work now. Mm -hmm. I go to meetings in every state that I travel to. Awesome. It really is like family. As cliche and as cheesy as that can be. Yeah. We do have family everywhere we go. We yes, go we find do. Our people. So you got sober in the military and are in the military now? Yes, sir. Yesterday was 21 years. What can you say to getting sober in the military that someone who might be drinking and in trouble needs to hear? Oh, Don, this is such a good question and a good point that needs to be highlighted. There is nothing more important than your life. Because I know with my job, my security clearance, everything that I felt I'd worked so hard for, I, I stuffed everything else to the side to maintain that. But in the long run, I was the one that felt that pain. There's lots of different avenues, but I will say, if you look, there is a meeting probably within 30 minutes of you, and there might even be one on the base that you're at. Hmm. And everybody is there for the same reason. And I was scared too, because I was scared. I was in a small town and the, the first meeting I went to and my therapist told me, well, they're there for the same reason you are. We're all just trying to get well. Cameron, did your recovery harm your career in the military? Not in any way at all. It actually has helped. I'm in an independent billet right now which means when I show up to work, there's nobody there tracking if I'm there or not. They only know ultimately whether or not the work gets done. Okay. And I can't imagine, we call it RFC. I would have been removed for cause if I'd come into this job still drinking because I wouldn't have had any accountability for what I'm doing. I'm so grateful for the end of the career and the life that is to come that AA has given me because I didn't know how to, to navigate any of these things when I was still drinking. So I didn't even try. I just sat on the couch and drank. <laughs> mm, yeah. We've talked with a couple other members of the military who also confirmed that getting help did not harm their military careers. And not getting help 
would ultimately have harmed their careers. Absolutely. It's so much better to go out and reach for help and ask prior to it being an incident or, you know, Mm -hmm. we call it an ARI prior to an alcohol related incident. And so what does your life look like today? Well, I have a sponsor. I have a home group, Lake Sawyer Men's Acceptance Group. It's a men's meeting. We meet every 8 a.m. on Saturdays. I have a a program and a, a way to live my life. I attend about four to five meetings a week. I always laugh when I'm starting to talk with somebody new, either maybe new in my life or maybe talking with an old friend. And one of the things, especially after I tell them, you know, I'm like Monday night, I'm at a meeting and then Tuesday night I'm at a meeting and they'll say, where do you find the time to go to all these meetings? And I'll say in the same 24 hours that I used to drink for 12 of them, I can find the time to go to a meeting an hour a day. It is. It's it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of fellowship. Uh, there's events that that we get to go to, uh, campouts and potlucks. I went to a couple yesterday. It's beautiful. It's a life of hope and a life worth living. You know, folks can't see you on this, but I imagine they could hear it in your voice. Your face lit up as you were just talking about all that. It's a good life. It is a good life. Cameron, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you a little bit. Thanks so much for having me, Don Sam. So glad to be here and join you guys. It's time for listener feedback. Hey, folks, why not write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org or give us a call at 212-870-3418 with your thoughts. Operators are standing by. Thank you for calling the AA Grapevine podcast. Your call is very important to us. We got an email from Madeline in Seattle, Washington. Madeline writes, hi there, Sam and Don. Ooh, I got first billing. Oh, wait, Don and Sam, question mark. (laughs) What about Son and Dam? Dam? Son and Dam? I don't think we should do that. (laughs) I love your podcast. Thank you so much for bringing such levity and joy to us all every week. Proof we are not a glum lot. I've been thinking about the episode where you talked about welcoming newcomers and making sure to welcome them with open arms rather than continuing conversations with just your friends. I needed to hear that. I'm mostly on Zoom due to my work schedule, and I'm so used to jumping on early but keeping my camera and mic off while I do other things or just talking to my friends and controlling the conversation to avoid any awkward silence. I know about awkward silence here. (laughs) This usually leaves newcomers quiet in the background, and I don't normally see them again. That episode reminded me how when I started off at meetings, one of the biggest things that kept me coming back was how welcoming and open people were when I arrived. And I want to give back what I got, because that's what helps me stay sober. Now I'm working to stay present at the beginning and after meetings and look for those newcomers, reaching out to make sure they are welcome. It keeps me involved and reminds me why I'm going to meetings in the first place. The most important person in any meeting is the newcomer. Thanks for spreading the experience, strength, and hope. Madeline, that's beautiful. Just beautiful. I love it. You know, you tend to forget that just showing up, sharing in the meeting, and welcoming newcomers or welcoming just other people to the meeting is all 12-step work. Indeed. Madeline, I'm so glad that that resonated with you. From the past. Today we have Dr. Bob's last major talk. We'll play about six minutes and I've slightly condensed it 
If this interests you, the entire talk is 45 minutes long or so, and just search for Dr. Bob's last major talk, 1948. At one point, he says, we started in on Bill. This is not Bill W. he's talking about, but Bill number three. He speaks of the time before the 12 steps and their development. That in my mind, the spirit of service is of prime importance, although it has to be backed up with some uh, knowledge of uh, the subject. I know I used to go to the hospital and I'd stand there and, and talk. I've talked many a time to a chap in a bed for five or six hours. I don't know how he ever stood me for five or six hours, but he did. It came to my mind that uh, I probably didn't know too much about what I was talking. Therefore, we being stewards of what we have, and that includes our time, I was not giving a good account of my stewardship of time. If it took me six hours to say something to this man that I could have said in an hour, we'll say, if I'd known what I was talking about, I certainly was not a very efficient individual. And incidentally, I'm somewhat allergic to work anyway. So, uh, I felt that I should uh, continue to increase my familiarity not only with the good book, but uh, read a good deal of good standard literature and possibly something of uh, scientific interest along with it. So I did cultivate this habit of reading, and I think I've, I think I'm not exaggerating when I say that I have probably averaged to read an hour a day for the last 15 years. I don't say that to try to sell you on the idea that you've got to cultivate that habit of reading an hour a day, because there are plenty of people and fine AAs that don't read very much. You see, back in those days, we were groping in the dark entirely. We did not uh, know much about it. We knew practically nothing of alcoholism. I, a physician knew nothing about it to speak of. Oh, I'd read about it, but there wasn't anything worth reading in any of the textbooks. And uh, usually the information about it consisted on uh, some queer treatment for DTs. If you'd gone that far, and if you hadn't, why, you prescribed a few bromides and uh, gave the fellow a good lecture. None of which, of course, uh, amounted very much. And in early uh, AA days, we became quite convinced that uh, the spiritual program was fine, but it uh, we could help the Lord out a little with some supplementary diet. So, uh, in the early days, Bill, having a lot of stomach trouble, had stumbled across the fact that... Uh, he got along much better on sauerkraut and cold tomatoes. And so we thought that if as much as Bill had to have that experience, that would probably everyone else would share the same. But of course we discovered later that 
the uh, most any dietary restriction have very little to do with the acquisition and maintenance of tournament variety. We, uh, in our own stories in the mountain thing to speak of, when I, we started in on film, we had no 12 steps, we had no traditions, we had uh, nothing of that kind. But we were convinced that the answer to our problem was in the good book. And it uh, became somewhat evident, we thought, to some of uh, us older ones, that it was contained, but that we found absolutely essential to a rather limited section of the good book. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount, the 13th chapter of Corinthians, and the book of James. I think we got those ideas pretty firmly implanted in our minds very early. But it wasn't until the 39 that the uh, teachings and efforts and studies that uh, had been going on were crystallized in the form of the 12 steps. I didn't write the 12 steps. They had nothing to do with the writing of them. I think probably I had something to do with, with uh, them indirectly because after this June 10th episode, Bill came to live at our house and stayed for about about three months. And there was hardly a night in that three months that we didn't sit up till two or three o'clock discussing these things. And it'd be hard for me to conceive that something wasn't said if during those nightly discussions around our kitchen table that influenced the actual writing of the 12 steps. Much more handy to have in that form, of course. We had the ideas uh, pretty much basically, but not in uh, terse and uh, tangible form. We got them, as I said, as a result of our study and effort out the good book. We must have had them because uh, we have learned from experience that they are very important in maintaining sobriety, and we were maintaining sobriety. Therefore, we had them, but not in exactly the written form as you know them now. What are the grapevine's most popular books? Emotional Sobriety 1 and 2. Both are filled with experiences by sober AA members, many with long-term sobriety, about the positive transformations we can achieve by practicing the principles of the program in all aspects of our lives. The stories show how the rewards are serenity, emotional balance, and an increased joy for living. Visit aagrapevine.org books. A boozer enters a bar leading a dog. He makes a bet with the bartender that the animal can talk. He asks the dog, who was the greatest of all baseball players? Roof, roof. If that was supposed to mean Babe Ruth, any dog could do it. You and that dog get out of here.
Outside, his dog asked, I should have said DiMaggio. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.